On today's Exploring History podcast, we'll look at some principles from the Bible that should inform us when we're deciding who to vote for in next year's election. Welcome to Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. Chester Arthur did not expect to be president. Chester Arthur did not particularly want to be president. Arthur was merely a cog in the Republican machine in New York that represented one faction of the Republican Party. In 1880, the Republican nominee for president, James Garfield, agreed for Arthur to be nominated for vice president on the Republican ticket in an attempt to make peace with that faction of the party. Garfield and Arthur won the election that year. Then, four months into Garfield's presidency, the unthinkable happened. A frustrated and delusional office seeker shot Garfield, who lingered for several weeks before dying. Then the second unthinkable thing happened. Chester Arthur became president of the United States. Most people expected very little from Arthur— at least very little that was good. But one woman, whom Arthur had not known, believed he was capable of better. While Garfield lingered, Arthur began receiving letters from Julia Sand of New York. Miss Sand challenged Arthur not to govern down to people's low expectations of him. Arthur took the messages of her letters to heart, and people then and historians since then credit Arthur with an administration that was much better than what people had come to believe he was capable of. I tell this story to introduce the topic of the kind of leaders we should seek to hold government office. Next year is an election year. We will be deluged with candidates presenting themselves and their ideas about how our nation should be run on the local, state, and national levels we will naturally be drawn to those candidates who state positions on issues with which we agree. But we should be looking for another trait in candidates that is even more important than their positions on issues. We need to consider their character, the kind of people they have proven themselves to be. Those who hold positions of leadership carry a great responsibility. We rightly expect our leaders to be people we can look up to. It is easy for voters to ignore or fool themselves about the character traits of the candidates they favor. At the same time, voters tend to perceive candidates they oppose as unreliable rascals whom they quickly dismiss. But we fail to be good stewards of our right and freedom to vote when we fail to consider the character of candidates in our elections. The consequence of this failure is to settle for elected officials who lack good character. When this happens, the policies and practices of our government officials can be disappointing. In many passages of Scripture, God teaches the importance of leaders being people of godliness. After God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but before He had given them the law from Mount Sinai, Moses' father-in-law suggested a system by which people other than Moses could settle lesser disputes among the Israelites. 
This would relieve Moses of some of the burdens of leadership. It also would enable him to concentrate on being the people's representative before God, teaching the law to the people, and focusing on the more difficult cases. Moses was to choose judges who were, and I quote from Exodus 18, verse 21, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. These characteristics were essential so that the men selected as judges would put God first, judge fairly, and not let bribes influence them. If the judges did not possess these characteristics, justice would not be served, and the people would have a hard time respecting their decisions. In this incident involving Moses and his father-in-law, God set the pattern for leaders who would honor him. God's main qualification for a leader is not his intelligence, eloquence, education, or appearance, but his character. A leader must, above all else, be trustworthy. If a leader has the right kind of character, he will be more likely to deal with the situations that confront him in the best way possible. A potential leader, someone running for office, does not know all the decisions he or she will have to face if they fulfill a leadership role. He or she will likely promote an agenda, but that is not the only responsibility that a leader has. Many times, the key issues in a presidential campaign bear little resemblance to the crises that the winner of that election eventually faces in office. I think of George W. Bush as one example. When he ran for president in 2000, I never remember hearing him once talk about what he would do if terrorists hijacked passenger planes and flew them into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, or how he would respond to a hurricane with the impact of Katrina, or how he would handle a major economic downturn such as the one that occurred in 2008. And yet those are some of the events George W. Bush actually faced during his presidency. This is why the character of a leader is so important. The traits he or she brings to the office that person will be holding. When God rejected Saul as king, the prophet Samuel said that the Lord had sought out a man after his own heart to be ruler over Israel instead of Saul. 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. From that time forward, David has been known as a man after God's own heart. We know that David was far from perfect, but he was devoted to worshiping God and was contrite when the Lord convicted him of his sins. Because of the influence that leaders have and the example they set, those in positions of leadership and authority need to be persons after God's own heart. As King Solomon compiled his collection of Proverbs, he had a special interest in the characteristics that a king should possess and the failings that a king should avoid. The book of Proverbs is the wisdom that a father is passing on to his son, so the wisdom that it includes about a king has special significance for the heir to the throne of Israel. The lessons in it inform our thinking about what a leader should be. Proverbs has much to say on this topic, but here are just a few verses. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. Proverbs 16.10 a ruler bears a weighty responsibility. Because God places a person in a position of authority, he or she should strive to speak the truth and should avoid playing favorites. 
The judgment of a ruler affects millions of people. But even when a ruler addresses one person, he should speak the truth. It has become common for some leaders to spin certain topics to make themselves look better. It's hard for the people to know the truth and to respect its leader when he or she does this. Proverbs 16.12 says, It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne is established on righteousness. A position of governmental authority is a position of trust. God has entrusted that person with responsibility, and many people depend on him or her to do what is right and to set a good example. It is a sad betrayal of that trust when a person in authority acts wickedly. The only way for an individual ruler or a dynasty to establish their rule firmly is by a commitment to righteousness. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. Proverbs 20, verses 8 and 28. Here are four traits that help a king have a secure and successful reign. Justice, loyalty, truth, and righteousness. Take away the wicked before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. Proverbs 25 and verse 5, and chapter 29 and verse 12. These verses address the power and influence of a king's advisors. The leader of a nation has many helpers and advisors. A modern U.S. president has thousands of people on his staff. If the king surrounds himself with people who are committed to doing what is right, then his reign will be more likely one of righteousness. On the other hand, if a ruler establishes a pattern of doing wrong, he creates a culture of wrong that affects his entire administration. We have seen the wrong kind of aids weaken the effectiveness of a leader, and we have also seen leaders who themselves set a tone of evil that negatively affected all those around them. A leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Proverbs 28, verse 16. A common failure of those in power is to use that power to crush all who differ with them. This might appear to be the way to ensure greater control over a realm, but it is actually a foolish policy that weakens a leader's rule. The ruler who uses his office to help others instead of as a way to line his own pockets and eliminate any opposition will have a more effective tenure in office. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the wicked. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. A ruler must be free of personal weaknesses that would compromise his ability to lead with justice and consistency and cause people to lose respect for him. Ezekiel 34 is a chapter that offers a stinging rebuke to those described in the passage as the shepherds of Israel, that is, those in positions of leadership. These leaders should have taught and exemplified God's way, but they did not. This negative example is another instance when the Bible teaches us how leaders should be and what they should do. The shepherds of Israel should have been feeding the flock, but instead they had been feeding themselves. 
They had taken the best of everything for themselves and had ignored the needs of those over whom God had placed them. The shepherds had dominated the sheep in their care, and the sheep had been scattered as a result of this lack of effective leadership. The Lord declared Himself to be against those shepherds. He said that He would remove them from positions of oversight over His flock. God Himself would seek out and care for His sheep. He would provide for them, and He would bring the failed shepherds to judgment. God notices when His innocent sheep suffer, and He will not let the unrepentant guilty go unpunished. Government leaders today hold positions in which they can do good in the name of the Lord. When they fail to serve the people and instead serve themselves, they betray the people, but they also betray God, and God will not ignore their sins. When people in government fail to act as they should, it is not just a political or policy failure. It is a betrayal of the stewardship that God has placed in the hands of one group of people to serve others, especially those who do not have the power and influence to help themselves. The teachings on leadership in the New Testament deal mostly with leaders in the church. However, we can apply the principles of that setting to leadership in government also. Jesus taught his disciples that the world's model of leadership would not work in the church. In the world, rulers lord it over their people and great men throw their weight around. In the church, by contrast, greatness comes by serving, and those who want to be first must be last of all. This was the model of leadership that Jesus himself set. See Mark 10, verses 41 through 45. Many government leaders are true servants. Others in government claim to be the servants of the people, but their actions say otherwise. We need elected officials who see themselves first as servants, not as masters. Peter instructed church elders on how they should lead, not because they feel forced to do so, but because they want to. Not to see what they can get out of leadership, but because they want to serve. Not lording it over the flock, but being an example to the flock. 1 Peter 5, verses 1-4 through 4. The do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do style of leadership does not work in either a family, a church, or a society. In a similar vein, Paul instructed Timothy not to let his youthfulness be a hindrance to his effectiveness as an evangelist. Instead, Paul told the young man to set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. How desperately we need leaders who will set a good example in these ways. A leader should be a positive example. He should not simply make excuses for his poor behavior. Our leaders won't be perfect. No leader is, because no human is. But we must ask important questions about our leaders and about those who would seek to be our leaders. Is he or she honest? Can people trust this person in leadership to follow godly principles, to seek justice, to own the effects of his or her decisions? Is this person someone who lives by Micah 6 and verse 8 to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. If we expect less, we lower our standards for leaders, and eventually lower our standards for ourselves. But aren't we a secular nation, you might ask? Is it fair to impose biblical teachings about a monarchy on a modern democracy? 
It is true that we are not a theocracy as Israel was, but we are a nation of people created in the image of God, a nation of neighbors who deserve to be treated as such, a nation of sinners, yes, but a nation of people who do more good than you might think by watching the news. As such, let's not settle for less. Let's seek people to serve in government, both elected and appointed, whom we can look up to, who will help our country be more of what it should be and can be. We have more to say about biblical principles of leadership in Exploring Government, a curriculum for high school published by Notgrass History. I'm Ray Notgrass. Thanks for listening. This has been Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, and please leave a rating and review so that we can reach more people with our episodes. If you want to learn about new homeschool resources and opportunities from Notgrass History, you can sign up for our email newsletter at exploringhistorypodcast.com. This program was produced by me, Titus Anderson. Thanks for listening.